Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Good day to you. Do you feel that you procrastinate and never reach your goals? Do you feel that fear gets in the way of the things you're trying to do and holds you back? Today, our show is about facing the fear within us that sabotages us from our goals and dreams. And so we welcome you to the show. We have Dr. Jim Slaughter here to join us to talk about this fear that we are going to teach you to overcome. Welcome, Dr. Slaughter. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. So I am interviewing you about this process of really understanding the fear inside, what it's caused from, and how people can learn to overcome that. Yeah, this is one of the biggest, uh, I think, one of the biggest hurdles in in life. Um, And it's just my conviction and my experience, too, really, that uh, most people are driven by um, internal forces, really, deep within us that we don't understand, um, that uh, are very, very real and that we give ourselves over to, in a sense, without even knowing it. And we feel what we feel, we think what we think, we do what we do, uh, thinking it's just who we are. This is what I do. And yet uh, we, we, are, we really are driven to do those things and feel those things by a part of ourselves that we really aren't in touch with. And uh, most always that's fear-driven. Well, you know, following up for the 4th of July, um, thinking about all the veterans and people um, that go to war, and mm-hmm. you think about how they had to be so courageous to do that and overcome fear. And many of them, when I talk to Jeff Meek and you read his books about the veterans' stories, you find that they were afraid and that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going forward even though you're afraid. Mm -hmm. That if you're not afraid, then it's not courage. And so they overcame their fear to achieve such incredible things. And... um, Part of, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt said, most of us are controlled by a part of ourselves we are not aware of. Mm-hmm. And um, that part that we're not aware of, that gets in our way and, and uh, stops us from the things that we truly just dream of doing. So that would be like today when um, I had to contact or I wanted to contact James Hanna a cowboy football player, about being on the show. And uh, a friend of mine knows him and gave me his phone number. I could have been terrified to not contact him. And so, you know, praying for the strength to do that and overcoming that and moving forward to reach my goals, I went ahead immediately and did that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a time in my past when I would have, as you know, thought about it, thought about it, and thought about it, and said, okay, I'll do it after breakfast, and okay, I'll do it after I go run, and I'll, okay, I'll do it, and I would procrastinate and procrastinate. So if you have trouble with procrastination, which most people do, listen in how to overcome that. Yeah, and, and there are many ways that fear works itself out. And, you know, someone listening to you talk about James Hanna and getting in touch with him would say, well, good night. Why would you, why would you wait to do that? Why would you be afraid to do that? And yet the, the truth is we all have 
uh, latent fears. There are fears that are deep inside that we don't understand, we don't even recognize sometimes, that make us, drive us to do what we do cause us to feel what we feel. And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, we're going to go through the different personality types. Um, and when we say, when we talk about that today, it's the internal um, the internal talk that gets in our way, that negative talk that everyone has. Um, and everyone has it, but it's different for everyone. There's different categories that we put it into. And even Jim and I, we have different negative talk. Mine's more fear-related, I would say. And what would you say yours is? Well, I mean, mine's fear-related, too. It's just fear in a different way and fear of different things. But it beats uh, you up, right? Like, your negative talk kind of beats you up. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, the, 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 the tape that loops in my head, yeah, the way it's the way we put it, the tape that loops in my head keeps telling me what a loser I am, you know. Uh, why didn't you do that better? Why didn't you score higher? Uh, why have you taken so long to do that? Uh, you know, there's, so there's a part of me is this critic inside that wants to make me feel bad about myself. Which is amazing because, you know, I've known you most of my life and you travel around the world and you speak and you seem so self-confident and self, your self-image seems so great. And so when I started hearing more about the things that he beats himself about, which in some ways drives you immensely, I was so surprised. And I'm like, are you kidding? And that's what you think sometimes because you look so dynamic and you don't seem that way. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I, I, the thing is, though, that's the perplexing thing about personality because there are two sides to it. Everybody has this uh, more uh, true self side to their personality, but also the false self side to their personality. The false self side holds us back, and the false self side tells us things that aren't true about ourselves, and it causes us to act in ways that are detrimental to what we want to accomplish. Now, the other side of us, the true self, if we're able to get there and act out of that, uh, then we can do a lot of the things that we set our mind to and want to do. But we're, there's this drag that constantly pulls us back. Well, and I want to clarify those terms because okay. these are coaching terms, though they have been used long before that. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually trained at the Gardner Institute under Dr. Jane Gardner. And um, in our coaching practice at Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in our wellness clinic, we talk about the true self as being the person themselves, I mean, the adult that you know. I mean, when I think about, like, my mom, my mom, I know my mom. And um, when I think of her, I think of all the wonderful things about her and her normal characteristics. And the false self is, you know, if she's tired or she's exhausted or, you know, having a hard time, she may not be as wonderful. <laughs> and so when I see that it's so rare that that is the false self of my mom, it's the part that I don't really, you know, see very often. It's often the part of a person that we don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's the part of you that you, if you look back and you think of all the things you regret that you wish you hadn't done in your life, that is the false self. That's the part that sabotages your life. And so um, there's a great story, a uh, true story, about a man named Nando Parado. And um, his life is talked about in the book Alive by Pierce Reed. And uh, it's about him surviving, Nando surviving the crash of his airplane 15,000 feet up in the Andes Mountains. He was not found for 72 days. And during that time, 
he faced, of course, supreme challenges, mm-hmm. um, namely the possibility of his own death. Now, I don't completely understand why people do this myself. <laughs> um, you know, it's probably the one thing I don't like, freezing cold weather for very long. I mean, uh, if I could fly in and ski or something, fly out, you know, and not have to live in it. But um, I'm not really a cold weather person. And so when I think of this, I think, why would you do this? But Nando... Um, he courageously won the battle of this 15,000-foot frozen terrain. And he states the reason he won the battle against fear was because he faced it. As Eleanor Roosevelt says, facing your fear is your biggest hurdle. And like Parado, and just like you did when you went through things in your past that you faced fears, you gain inner freedom and power by facing this enemy within that tries to make you think as I just said before I started this story, when I said I can't believe people would do this, to me, I don't think I could do it, or at least the thought of all the oxygen you need, and when you see it on TV or movies, you think, wow, that's something I could never do. And yet, he did it. And so Parado says the most powerful enemy he had to overcome was not the ice and snow, it was actually the sub-zero temperatures, the lack of food, it, it wasn't the sub-zero temperatures of lack of food or the threats of hunger or dying mm-hmm. <laughs> or irrational people around him that were freaking out. Uh, he said, actually, the biggest hurdle to overcome for him was to get personal freedom or inner strength to do what he knew he needed to do, which was to face the enemy who he says is within us all. And um, Churchill, when he heard the story, followed up on it and said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, when he talked about in World War II. Um, and so if you think about that, and Nando Parado's story is so extreme that it's hard to believe that the thing that he said was the most difficult of everything, all of his challenges, was getting paralyzed inside and not doing what he knew he wanted to do, not doing what he knew he needed to do in order to survive, that he had the knowledge. When you go on to read the book, it talks about the self-doubt and him wanting to turn to others for advice, yet yeah, he knew more than all of them. He was the most experienced. Mm-hmm. And trusting his instincts and believing in himself that he did know and he could get everyone out of there was the biggest hurdle. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of, uh, you know, what he experienced is, is uh, what, what people experience when they, they overcome that false self part of themselves, that drag, that, that uh, consistent uh, uh, negative self-talk part of us, people overcome that and begin acting out of their true self and find that they can do things that they never thought they could do before. Uh, most of the fears that we have are irrational. Uh, right. and it's, it's been said that, you know, like 95 to 98 percent of the things we're afraid of never even happen. And uh, I, I've come to believe that's true. And so most of what we fear is a, it's an irrational kind of fear. And it's this part of us, this part of our personality that keeps us afraid. Well, when you say 98% of what we fear never happens, you know, the most interesting thing about that is that because we fear it, we often prepare for it. So the more fear we have of something, the more we prepare if we're going to be successful. But usually the reason 98% of what we fear doesn't happen is what really happens is what we hadn't thought of. Things that would never entered our mind that we would think to be afraid of to have prepared for. Yeah, emergency kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. And so no matter how much you worry, it is not going to help you too much in the future because I'm worrying about tomorrow. You're guessing, you know, based on history. um, But it takes up so much time instead if you could use that instead 
to enjoy life and know that things are going to happen that you aren't prepared for and knowing how to deal with that. Right. And, you know, in overcoming my false self, I mean, we, we, you and I have spent a lot of time in a number of years working on this kind of thing, working on this stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that uh, even today I'm caught, uh, caught up short by my false self and the fears that it, it presents to me. But, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, uh, we, we can uh, we can do that. A lot of our lives are, are are spent overcoming, trying to overcome or work through things we're afraid of, and most of the things that I have been afraid of um, have not have not come have not been been there have not come true. And I realize that you know no matter what I face, there are options. I have options. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a part of my true self realizing I have options. If I have if I face a wall, there's got to be a way through it. I believe that with all my heart. And so I have options. There's more than one way to to do something, to be successful at something. There was a time in my life when I I thought there was only one way to do something. If I <laughs> you know, I could only have one job for life. That was it. Or I could only, you know, th- th- there was only one way and, and it was such a a one track uh, kind of experience. And so uh, n- now I've come to realize that uh, there are lots of different ways to get to where I want to go. I have lots of options open to me when things get kind of dark. And so uh, I, in, in realizing that and thinking about that and looking for the options and looking for a different road, looking for a different track, knowing there's something there that will help me break through, I am able to overcome that part of myself that thinks negatively and begin thinking positively. And it's amazing to me the positive outcomes that I experience by doing that. Well, and I want to clarify that it's not just a positive mindset. I mean, one of the things that you, when you say false self, I think in true self, when you said your true self um, tells you you have options and things like that. I mean, it's really knowing the difference between truth and lies. And your brain, as Dr. Amen tells us, he's the brain um, neurosurgeon psychiatrist that wrote the books, um, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. He's got all these books out about the brain. He's a brain specialist. He tells us, and he calls them ants, automatic negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. He says that your brain does lie to you. And so you've got to be able to distinguish, you know, the, the part of the brain that lies to you is what Dr. Sauter is calling the false self. And um, the part of the brain that's the truth, which is most of the brain, because it can process based on history and facts, and it's rational and logical. That is most of the brain of an adult. That is what you're calling the true self. It knows the truth. And so if whether you call it the truth and really figuring out what's true as an adult or... Um, kind of going based on fears that the brain, when the brain tells you things that aren't really true um, or, or even inaccurate. You know, I know a lot of women will say, all men cheat, okay? And when I challenge them about that, I'll go, all men? They'll say, okay, well, not all men. Some men do this and some men do that. Now, that's the logical, rational adult brain. The one who said all men cheat is this stereotype, general category that is, a false falsity. It's not truth. And a lot of people will base their behavior based on these inaccurate falsities from they've learned along the way. And so some people say, when you say false self, that the voice is usually an echo of our strongest caretaker's voice or a reaction to that voice when we were growing up. Would you agree? Yeah, usually it's a primary caretaker in some sense who's who's harmed us. You know, and, and a lot of the irrational thinking and feeling that we do 
comes because we have been harmed, we have been hurt along the way. And so, in a sense, our little child's mind, where most of this tends to happen as we prepare for life, our little child's mind says, I'm not going to let this happen again. And so I'm going to start installing some habit patterns right now that will keep me safe. That'll protect you. That'll protect me, right? (laughs) And so the problem is that the older we get, And the further we go in life, the more that philosophy begins to fall apart. And the things that we thought would help us in in the beginning begin to harm us in our relationships as we get older. Well, when you say people who harmed us, I mean, everyone does have a harmful side. And that's the struggle with parenting. We all know that we don't do it perfectly. (laughs) And in some ways, we harm our children. And so, you know, our our parents have a very positive side and a lot of strengths, but yet they do have weaknesses. Sure. And um, whether it be our parent or a caretaker or somebody, um, but it isn't always what they did. It, it's more our perception of what they did, right? Mm-hmm. And so as our perception, we develop these beliefs about the world, but this is as a kid. And so as a kid, you don't have logical, rational thought yet. No, because you, your brain isn't developed enough to, uh, to, to, to be able to do that. Right. So you come up with these irrational beliefs or illogical beliefs and they're very deep 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 and so a lot of people will say that yes this talk that they hear they think that that negative talk that negative voice that tries to protect them and says you know oh my gosh don't get up and do karaoke you'll make such a fool out of yourself you'll be so embarrassed (laughs) and I've had people say that of course I'm sitting there thinking uh, everybody's making a fool out of themselves. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> Except every now and then you get this really incredible singer that just like, what? <laughs> and, and so um, I think that understanding that part of yourself um, so that you can understand what it is, what it's for, it is a protective mechanism that worked great when we were kids. I mean, it did keep us safe in a lot of ways based on the rules growing up. But as an adult, you're not a, you're not a kid anymore. And um, you don't have to follow those rules anymore. Um, and so being free of that and making decisions based on logical, rational thought um, and history, putting it all together to know what's best um, instead of talking yourself out of things based on fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me just say that harm takes many, many different forms. Uh, you know, it can it can be physical harm through abuse, or it can be uh, uh, verbal kinds of, of comments that people make. Right, and often it can be comments in your perception. Well, yeah, it would be like the karaoke thing. Uh, as a child, your parent says, "You're always so silly. Don't be silly all the time. <laughs> you know, act your age. You're five. Right, <laughs> right. You're five. Act your age. I am acting my age. Right. right. Yeah, but parents don't see it that way sometimes. And so later, when we're 25, we get up to sing karaoke, and we're afraid because we're not supposed to act silly. Well, and it's interesting because um, you know, us when we have our first child, we tend to be harder on that child because we don't really understand, you know, what children are really like, and so we really do expect too much, and we mm-hmm. we don't really understand. It's almost like we expect them to act like a little adult or something, and so we rush everything. We rush. When they're potty trained and when they can walk, I mean, we push them, we do flashcards. And then by your third child, you're like, oh, they'll learn. You know, they'll they'll be able to go to the bathroom by age five or whatever. You just don't worry as much. And so part of it is the pressure we put on the kids that can cause these um, this fear and these negative voices. But you can have many kids that have very different negative voices inside that negative talk. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about how to overcome these and actually go through how we teach you to do that uh, step by step. 
so that you can help you on air be able to figure out your false self. Um, and then the last segment, we will teach you how to overcome that completely. So stay here. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them. Nothing seems to work. Desires are unfulfilled, fantasies unrealized, and relationships become stagnant. Men are desperate today for a richer, deeper, more satisfying, and intimate marriage. Dr. Jim Slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate, fulfilling marriage they've always wanted. Call 817-991-4964 or email jslaughterphd at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I have Dr. Slaughter here with me, Dr. Jim Slaughter. And we are talking about how to overcome fear and um, self-sabotage in your life that holds you back from reaching your dreams and goals. And it's kind of funny because we just actually went through this um, for our dream of a home by the lake and leaving our ranch and vineyard and orchard to... um, Find another dream home. And everybody was telling us, but that's your dream home. That's your dream home. And uh, I said, wow, I have many dreams. <laughs> and I've lived this one for almost 20 years. I'd like to move on and find another dream. And so it was scary. And uh, it was a hurdle. And um, self-doubt abounded at times. You know, um, the selling and <laughs> selling process with realtors and Oh, my gosh, and lenders, and it's also crazy. So, um, you know, I had times when I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? But we made a bundle, and we wanted to move on. And so um, we actually reached that goal, and have had a, and it's very exciting, and we're very happy we did it. But um, I, I, how many times did I say, did I make a mistake? I shouldn't have done this. Like, are you, are, are you upset with me? I know I wanted to do this. And you would say, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh, your, your personality style, and all this is about personality. We say personality, it's who I am, it's how I relate to the world, but it's all about these fear factors inside of us. And uh, your fear factor was saying, okay, have I, have I made it as much money as I can off of the sale? Uh, yeah, should I have stayed here longer? Uh, is it the right time to move? There was no water in the lake. Why would I move to a lake with no there water? There was water. You're exaggerating. <laughs> well, there, was, <laughs> there was lots of water. It was water. a dry time. No, it was anyway. not. 
But, you know, it, it, that kind of fear begins to control your thoughts. And you say, wow, may, maybe I made a mistake. And so you begin second guessing and you continue to be afraid. And that's a part your personality drives you to that place. Yeah. And it, it is paralyzing almost at times. And I, can, and I can imagine with my personality type, when I think of Nando Prado being on a, you know, uh, when you think of an Everest type mountain, and those thoughts, how in, in incredibly severe they would be when mine was just moving to the lake, you know. Right, right. And I was, let me just correct, not, I was excited about the lake part. I had no doubts about the lake. And right, then right. God, of course, rained and filled up the lake even more. That's right. And so I kept right. telling him, God's filling up our lake. But yes, um, you right. hear my negative talk. I mean, because I talk through it with you. Right. And that's part of how I get through it. Um, and so, yes. I, what I, I wanted to break in here and just say, though, that, you know, Parado's fears, what, whatever he was fighting, whatever those fears were on the mountain, they may not have been any stronger than the fears you had about your move, about the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's fear is, is individual. It's to them. It's individual lies, but it can be strong and paralyzing. But his was death or life on the line, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think about if I had done that and was and struggled with indecision because at one point I did take the house off the market because I wanted to just enjoy the holidays. Um, but there was, you know, some indecision about whether I wanted to sell or not after that, after I put you guys through all that. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but I can't imagine doing that on a mountaintop, you know, in the, in, in the freezing tundra. But, um, okay, so let's get to, so I want you to be able to teach people about the personality categories and how to pick out what they are. Um, and that, and I do want to just say that we do look at a combination. You're not just one of these. You're a combination. And we look at the top three. And so as you think through these, as we go through them, I want you to kind of think of what would, what would your number one be? What drives you the most um, on the negative talk side? And then maybe second, at least try to get your top two. Those are important. Um, and so if you'd start, Jim. Sure. Um, you know, the... Um I wanted to start by saying that professionals in our field uh, since the beginning, like 100 or more years ago, uh, have tended to see about a half a dozen different personality styles. Now, they may call them different things. Some people might call a personality <laughs> style a golden retriever. Yeah, something. I love that one. <laughs> and then, but, but we have uh, we have used uh, six terms to describe different styles of relating that uh, are just common terms. And I'm going to lay them out here, uh, and then we can talk about each one individually. But one would be the pleaser. Which would be the golden retriever and the other one, right? <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> Another would be the doubter. Another would be the avoider. Another would be the perfectionist. Then the controller and the critic. Those mm-hmm. are the six that we work with, and we help people come to the place of, of, of seeing what their primary style is and then even a, a network of styles that causes them to do what they do and feel what they feel. Now, when, since you mentioned the golden retriever, let's start with the pleaser <laughs> okay. because um, I love um, John... Trent's the um, what was it the apple tree or the what was the name of that book he wrote about when he used animals for oh the treasure tree I love that book he used animals to describe some of these traits well I guess they were all of them because there were six and um, but when we talk about it we use terms for adults so that they understand 
Um, not that adults can understand animals, but um, on the on the self-talk, negative self-talk side that derives you, the pleaser. Tell us about the pleaser. Well, that's easy for me because it's my personality style, <laughs> number one. And um, and the pleaser is basically the pleaser needs uh, in his own heart and mind and soul to make everybody happy. And so the pleaser is trying to please everyone, make everybody happy. Uh, and so we often tend to do things that we think would make people happy and think well of us. We want people to uh, uh, think we're great and good people. We, we want to do the kinds of things that would uh, bring bring people closer to us and just make us make them think that we're such good guys, right? We are a good guy. Right, well, yeah, but thank you. But one of the things that I've learned about pleasers is it's hard to know them, really know them. Yeah, and we hide a lot. Actually, pleasers will hide a lot because they 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 don't um, they don't want people to see uh, that part of them that might not want to do something that the other guy wants them to do. Uh, might not always be the happy, jovial person uh, that the other person Seems. comes to believe they mm-hmm. are. Okay, and so and so I mean everyone hides to a certain extent, but pleasers hide a lot because they want this happy, jovial, willing. Uh, side to show, and, and and most people would say of pleasers, they're good guys. People really like them. People love to them. them. They're yes. warm and friendly and hospitable and outgoing, and uh, and so the problem though is that often a pleaser will go so far. He'll do this all of his life, get to the point where so much resentment has built up inside because of doing stuff that he doesn't really want to do, but he thinks he has to do. And all of a sudden, you know, he might go off on somebody and, and kind of rebel about that. So there is fear in that. Their fear is that if they don't do that, people won't like them. Yeah, the fear for a pleaser is that people will not like them. And for the pleaser, that in a sense spells death. Yeah, terror. It's yeah, terrifying yeah, for them. So, right. And And so if you think of the natural filter that a pleaser has. I mean, they do have a a built-in filter so that what comes out of their mouth is very carefully worded, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's much more cautious. It lets people know what they want to hear. And so when I, one of the things I've learned about you over the years is that, let me just say this on live radio, um, you don't always say exactly what you feel. You filter it so that it's what I want to hear. Now, you've come a long way, and, and we worked on this our whole marriage. And so my pleaser, I do have pleaser, but mine's third. No, that's not right. Mine's second. And so there is a huge difference between someone it's their secondary and someone it's their primary, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would. And, uh, you know, I, I have to admit it. You know, I, one of the struggles in my life has been to, to, to just be honest about what I'm thinking and feeling. And, and not to, to filter it too much. You know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right. That's part of what, what it means to be a pleaser, right? I love that about you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, but the, the, the problem is, though, that, you know, you get worn out. I mean, right. you get so tired making everybody happy. And so, you And know. the reason I work so hard to find out what you really feel, which used to just be like, oh, my gosh, why do you keep asking this? Why are you working so hard to know me? And I said, because I want you to be happy, really happy. Because what I know about pleasers, or they used to call them compliance, or what they used to call golden retrievers, okay, is that they put their needs aside because they believe that you will, like me, okay, let's say you and me, you let, if I ask where you want to eat, you'll say, you'll either say you don't know, or you'll defer to me saying, well, where do you want to go? Or you will mention something that you know that I like. Because you want to make me happy. And there's a thing in the pleasers. They actually think that 
they don't mind not getting what they want. It doesn't bother them. They're very flexible, and they are incred- incredibly flexible and resilient. But they think the other person will have a harder time if they don't get what they want, okay, which isn't right. which isn't I true, mean, yeah. yes, necessarily. And so you had reasons for doing that. And for years, I thought you liked where I wanted to eat all the time and you wanted, like, the movies. I should have figured it out because there were a lot of girl movies, sports movies I love, and you love that too. But there were, you know, when you started being more honest with me and telling me, like, war movies, and that one really got me, um, or um, the more violent movies. I love action movies, but <laughs> you're laughing. Okay. Go ahead. No, I'm just uh, I'm just thinking that through. You know, it's not like I, I'm I'm not really into violence. No, movies, not violence. But, uh, I like you know I like uh, mysteries and I like spy movies and right. things like that. But yeah, and so what I was gonna I want from here I wanted to say you know there there are people listening who are maybe trying they're they're going to be asking okay what what am I who am I mm-hmm. what what is my style and so one you to think through you know are you a pleaser are you the kind of person who wants to make everybody happy who wants to keep the waters smooth and make everything okay so people will like you. So tell them how they'd know. Well, um, often a person will avoid, you know, a pleaser will avoid difficult situations, uncomfortable feelings. You don't want to, you, you hate conflict. Hate conflict. Pleasers hate conflict. They don't want to disagree with anybody. They don't want to get into arguments. And so they'll concede a point rather than have to argue about it or make somebody, uh, you know, um, not not like them. Uh, I know they, they procrastinate. Please just procrastinate because they're afraid to make a mistake and have people uh, uh, criticize them. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they do that. Uh, never mind helping other people. You avoid confrontation. And and, uh, and often a pleaser can be a workaholic because he wants to please the boss. Right. Or, or he wants to please his colleagues, you know. So they, if they have a conflict between two people, they who do they choose? Because they don't want conflict, but they will choose. Well, they'll choose the other person and what the other person wants. Is that what you're, yeah, right? Yeah. But what if one, two people want something from them that's different? Who will they choose? They'll choose. Uh, they'll choose to go with the person who will be the less critical and the less confrontational. Oh, I thought them. it was the other way around. The one they're most afraid of. They would let them. Isn't that what I said? No, um, I said less confrontation. No, they, they would choose to, to deal with the person who would be create more problems, right. more confrontation. And so the thing with pleasers, often people think that they like the other person more, but it isn't that. They're more afraid of the other person. Right. The, the damage is more, so they don't like that. Um, and so, um, and these are on the negative side, the negative talk, you know, the... Um, uh, they often will say tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, tomorrow, because I'm a very much I'm a very much let's do it now kind of person, right? And um, pleasers tend to they'll say tomorrow, right? Um, and uh, they often can because of the anxiety that they might have and fear, they can get addicted to things. Um, anything else? No, I would just ask the people who are listening: Are you a pleaser? Mm-hmm. As you hear us talk about being a pleaser, hear me talk about it, are, are, can you can you identify yourself as a person who acts in certain ways because you want to make people happy and keep the waters smooth? Because that leads to, to problems in our lives when we do that over and over again. Now, on the good side, and especially after coaching, you know, um, they get healthier. On the good side, pleasers can make when they're healthy. They make careful choices. Mm-hmm. They are incredible workers. They're um, poten- they're um, 
their ability is amazing to me um, to take care of themselves and others. I mean, they have incredible energy to me. Uh, the, I think of them as energizer bunnies. And I see you, like, when we were putting stuff up in the attic, you you went, like, like, like energizer bunny nonstop. But box in the attic, box in the attic, box. And we were all just watching. And this goes on. You can do this for, like, hours. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, and so... Uh, they're very aware, pleasers are very aware of the motives and feelings of others. That's why they don't want to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, they know how to fit in. I mean, they're like chameleons. It's amazing how they can fit in. <laughs> <laughs> they're thought of as wise and often good salespeople. I like to call it flexible. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that's the pleaser. Um, so let's go on to the doubter because they're similar and they look similar in some ways if you don't know the negative talk inside, okay. the self-talk. Okay. Yeah, a- another term that we use for a different kind of personality style is doubter. And uh, I guess that term in some sense relays uh, what what that style is about or what happens with that, that style. But um, I think mainly the, 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 the hallmark of a, of a doubter personality style is a person lacks confidence in himself. They, they don't believe they have what it takes to get the job done. Now, they might not admit that up front, but underneath, they really doubt that themselves and that they have what it takes. So they defer to other people a lot, mm-hmm. uh, similar to pleasers, but for different reasons. Um, because they don't, even though they, and that's what I was saying, even though they, you know, Nando Parado in some ways must have been a doubter, because even though he knew even though he had more skills than anyone else there, he would def- he would defer to people at times, and he couldn't do it when it really came down to the clutch because he had the most skills. And so being able to follow through on that was the hardest thing for him to believe that he was the most knowledgeable. Right, and, and following through in the true self like he did and like we're encouraging people to do, first of all, it, it necessitates knowing what the other side of you is. I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna overcome the pleaser part of me, if I'm gonna overcome the doubter part of me, I have to understand. I have to know know that about myself, and then I have to make conscious choices to overcome that and do the opposite thing. But the doubter has trouble making choices, making yes. decisions right. because they're afraid they're gonna make a mistake. Yes, and so they tend to not make a decision. And right. so people they used to call this the victim, this right. personality type, and so it. And so they eventually saw it wasn't because they want to play the victim. It's that they actually are so paralyzed in making decisions. Now, the more paralyzed you are is the more prominent this as your number one personality type or number two or number three. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's number one, it is very hard for you to make any decisions. Um, a lot of them. And you'll defer a lot. Yeah, because you believe you're always going to be wrong. Right. Yeah, I believe I'm always wrong. Nobody's going to listen to me is another uh, mm-hmm. thing the boys say. And that's where the woe is me, the victim kind of can come in, you know, where they, they feel sorry for themselves. Um, they can. And, and you don't have to have all these things. But um, you sabotage yourself by depending on others when you have the ability yourself and the knowledge yourself. I mean, not in everything, because nobody knows everything. But there are areas that you know more than everyone else, and yet you still defer to other people. Right. And another thing is about that is that often the uh, the doubter gets uh, his whole life seems to be embroiled in tragedy. It's like one tragedy to the next. It's how tragedy, they see it. Tragedy, yeah. tragedy. Yeah, and, and a lot of it, right, a lot of it is how they perceive it. A lot of it is perception because somebody else might look at it and say, well, here's what you do. Just do this and it should be okay. You know, but the uh, the, the doubter tends to, because he can't see his way out of it. He can't see his way clear. He doesn't uh, really depend on himself because he doesn't believe in himself. And so it looks like tragedy to him. Right. And, and you know, the, the hard thing that I see as 
dealing with friends who are doubters, that are huge doubters, um, that what you see, you get frustrated by them, you know, because they will ask you the same questions over and over at times. And, and you'll talk with them and, you know, they'll, you know, you'll come to a consensus with them about, hey, so maybe this is a suggestion. And you make suggestions because you, you want to help them out. And they ask. And then you see them later and they're asking the exact same questions. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait. What, you know, it's like someone saying that they have a headache, and so you ask them, hey, have you taken any ibuprofen or Tylenol? And they go, yeah, I'll go do that. Then you see them later, and they're still complaining about the headache, and they haven't taken anything. Now, this is an extreme example. Just let me clarify. And so, because this isn't anything that everyone anyone's ever done, but for me. But um, then they said, well, I couldn't decide. Ibuprofen, you know, it hurts the liver, and Tylenol hurts the stomach. And, and so you'll be like... Oh my gosh, if you're not going to take anything, stop complaining. And so what happens, especially with women, for me, women will complain about a guy or complain about their children or whatever, but they won't actually ever do anything about it. And so that's why you just can get so frustrated with them. But if you understand that they are having trouble making decisions and they're terrified they defer to you, and then they are like, yeah, they agree with you. Then they go and leave, and they meet someone else. They see someone else who gives them different advice, and then they go, yeah, and then they're more paralyzed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, But when they're healthy, they are incredible team players. Right. And so part of coaching them is they're such positive traits, and some people are more healthy than others. So loyal and dedicated team member, that's what I lo- love about them. Right, and uh, also, you know, when when a doubter gets healthy and understands that doubter part and begins to overcome that and work against it, uh, they have such a sense, a newfound sense of personal worth. You know, they really be- begin to believe in themselves in a way they never have before, and so there's a lot of energy behind that. Which which also prevents people from taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. It's same thing for the pleasers. The healthier they get. They, they stop being a carpet on the floor, right? and they, people don't take advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, the doubters prefer to let their accomplishments speak, speak for themselves. They don't, they don't uh, toot their own horn. They don't um, brag about what they've done, almost to their detriment. But the healthier they get, they, that, that's the cool thing about them. They're humble. I love that about them. Yeah, and and their 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 concept of themselves changes so much. Instead of believing I'm always wrong, uh, <laughs> they begin to trust themselves to make good decisions. Instead of nobody listens to me, they think I'm a success within myself. I like myself the way I am, and um, and I have I have uh, I'm a force to be reckoned with. And they're very childlike and creative when they're healthy. I love that about them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that sense of, you know. Um, when, when you think of a child, that feeling around them that feels so cool because they're so, what would you call that word? Um, not tainted by the world <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah there's an innocence. And so uh, I just, they, the fact that they trust themselves, they're much more successful. And so um, if you're a doubter, I want you to think about that. And doubters and pleasers to the outside world kind of look the same because they go along with people. They let them choose where to eat. I mean, they're always very compliant when they're less healthy. Yeah, and you know, as we go along talking about these, realize that there's some common threads that go through here. Mm-hmm. A, a pleaser fears rejection from yeah. other people. A doubter feel, fears there's rejection, rejection from yeah. other people. And the others that we are going to talk about also, they fear rejection. They fear not being liked. They fear making mistakes. They, those kinds of things. And really understanding people helps you, helps you 
really get closer to them. The things that frustrate you about people, and that's what we talked about, it's the the false self is the side of people that can drive you crazy, the side of people that you maybe don't like. Um, It's the side of you that has all the, it's usually when you get in any of those bad moods, those down, anything, what you think of a mood that isn't a mood you want to be in, Mm -hmm. right? And so... It helps you really understand yourself, to not be so hard on yourself, and to understand how to overcome it so much better. And for your partner as well, and people in your family, they, they, when they understand, they're so much more patient with you. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. So how about the avoider? Wow, the avoider is, uh, again, that looks, it looks much like the doubter, but uh, the, the avoider procrastinates uh, a lot, avoids difficult situations, uh, uncomfortable feelings and disagreements with others. And, uh, again, it looks a lot like the pleaser and the doubter, but um, they don't mind helping others. But they, and they really they want to avoid confrontation. But uh, they are they aren't ready to do something today because they're afraid of the outcome. And again, it has a lot to do with rejection. Right. And so you know, manana <laughs> is is a, a way that they often look at it. Tomorrow, we'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow, today's too scary. Tomorrow, I'll be ready. Da, da, da. But they're more severe in that they they're they don't choose if two people are conflicting. They don't choose one. They don't want any conflict. So these often people will become workaholics as well. They'll stay at work instead of coming home to conflict. Yeah, it's also noted too that uh, often. Um, Avoiders get themselves caught up in major addictions because they're as they, it distracts them from, from the just the process of life and the pain of having to make decisions and the pain of the fear that's created. And so uh, they, they, they are easily caught up into addictive behavior. Because not only must they avoid conflict, they also must avoid any negative feelings. They don't want to feel that. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of distractions to get in the way of addiction could be one of them. Um, they, uh, but it could be like talk radio, always having the TV on so that they don't think, right? They can't hear themselves think too much They mm-hmm. because they'll start feeling bad feelings. Um, staying busy, busy, busy. And I was going to say busyness is a key distraction mm-hmm. because it, it, we, don't have to, we don't have to think and we don't have to be with ourselves when we do that. So how are they different? Like I know for sure like an avoider, if anyone is upset, avoid talking about it to them. That's what an avoider, they would just totally avoid that topic. Mm-hmm. And so there, you find that there's only certain topics you can talk about with them. They just won't go there with any other topics. And so over time, there become more and more things that they won't want to talk about. Well, and with an avoider, often it's, uh, it's difficult to carry on a very interesting conversation because they, they don't want to stay on a, a particular topic. Like you said, they'll, they'll jump from topic to topic. They won't, and sometimes they won't even answer the question. They'll just avoid the question because they don't want to. They'll act like they didn't hear you. Over time. Mm-hmm. Or they'll change the subject. Or, yeah, change the subject. And so, um, but again, they're often very likable, but eventually frustrating. Right, because you, f- you feel like the relationship you have with an avoider is such a shallow one because you can't get below the surface. They won't let you. They, they avoid anything serious. They avoid any kind of conflict uh, possibility, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's very difficult to get to know them. But they love helping others. Mm-hmm. They don't mind it at all. Um, they, they do trust very few people. Trust is not something that comes easy to them at all. Um, and so they avoid difficult situations, uncomfortable feelings, and disagreements with others. That's the main thing that I know. Um, a lot but, of- Go Sorry, ahead. I was just going to say a lot of what the, the 
you know, when we when we began learning about the avoider and, mm-hmm. and other personality types, you know, what we were what we focused on was the idea that the avoider tends to avoid first hard things inside himself. He right. does not like to deal with personal issues. He doesn't like to see himself in a negative light. It's very hard for him to think about the hard things and to deal with the hard things that are going on inside of him. And so introspection is very difficult. That's what, what, hence the distractions. (laughs) Yeah. And so they don't, honestly, I've never seen an avoider come to counseling or coaching willingly. You know, they don't pursue that themselves. Um, Somebody in the family brings them. Mm -hmm. And um, they don't think they need to be there. They definitely don't want to be there, even if they think they need to be there. But you would never know they think that. Um, They might agree with you if you say they need to be there. But um, when they're healthy, the cool thing is they make careful choices. And um, they're consistently prudent and disciplined, um, especially with their appetite and often exercise or emotions, wouldn't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and <clears throat> let me just say by that too uh, that um, the the healthy side of one of these negative um, personality types is uh, almost the, the exact opposite of that. You know, the avoider no longer will avoid; he'll tend to reach out and take and seize the day. Yeah. in a sense, you know, uh, calm in an emergency. Uh, he'll react quickly in a good way. You know, uh, you can compartmentalize the day to stay focused and get things done. Whereas before, that was impossible. Well, and I know that because they often will be workaholics to the tenth degree, whatever. Mm-hmm. They, um, when they're healthy, they work hard and they play hard. You know, and you want people to be able to play, to enjoy life and not just work their life away. And often these people will make a lot of money, but they will be pretty distant from their family. And so they won't have enjoyed that. And so part of understanding is that you can overcome that. um, And uh, by realizing this about yourself is the number one thing, realizing which personality type. And, of course, these are the negative talk on the negative side, but we do tell you how it ends up being, there's some incredible things, you know, um, that drives these people. And so that's the avoider. And often the avoider can look like a pleaser or a doubter. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. But by hearing the self-talk and that we tell you about it, you can figure out which one you are. And um, now the perfectionist, you under, you realize I'm leaving the controller for last. <laughs> the perfectionist, you know, is um, a quality that maybe a lot of people want. And yet, when you think of a perfectionist, they also they can be pretty pushy. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know about that too because that's a part of my personality profile. Um, I am I am a pleaser, perfectionist, critic. We'll mm-hmm. Talk about the critic later too, but but a perfectionist, uh, in my words, right? A perfectionist uh, wants must have everything just right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and when I say just right, it's always just right in his mind or her mind. Okay, uh, and so I have this perceived idea of what right is, and I must have it that way in order to be okay. But I, do, I see the perfectionists as very gifted as well because they're very smart. They can think things. You know, they they can often do things better than most people well, in the, the area they're very talented in. Yeah, and one of the reasons that's true is because perfectionists tend to be very detail-oriented. Right. The details are important to them. They want mm-hmm. the details to be right. they got to get everything right, you know. And so uh, often the perfectionist is the person who says, hey, you want something done right? You want this done right? Go to, to Jill or Jane or Joe or whoever <laughs> right. because, uh, you know, they'll get it done right. They know how to they'll do this. And so often people look to the perfectionist because they know if they, 
enlist them to perform a task or, or achieve a goal, it's going to get done. It's going to get done well and yeah, right. Yeah, you know? well, and, and quickly, usually, you know. Um, though, though, though perfectionists can procrastinate because they, because they have to make it perfect. Right. And they want it to be a certain way. They want to make sure they have enough time or they want to make sure they have all the materials. And so my perfectionist is like third. <laughs> Right. And so for me, I often like I wanted to make a cat tree. I saw them at the store. I was like, "Those can't be that hard to make." I mean, I say that a lot. I could make that, <laughs> and uh, you guys laugh at me, and I just dive in and start trying to make it. And then I realize, wait, I don't have enough carpet, or I don't have enough wood, or and I'll run to Home Depot. And you guys would never do that. Y- you would have everything beforehand to start. Well, the perfectionist has got to do the research. You know, he's got to do the research. Got to look at online, look in books, and and, and whatever, mm-hmm. uh, in order to know he's got everything he needs and knows how to do it before he starts it. And and, and the problem is, it just it keeps it takes forever sometimes to get a job done. Uh, when it's done, if it ever gets done, it'll be done really it'll be well. Done incredible, yeah. <laughs> you know, so now they're often very competitive, meaning there is a competitiveness in them that they have to be right, and that's my opinion. You know, like. There, whatever it is that they truly are gifted in, there is a competitiveness in there. Um, and uh, they do, to me, always have some kind of project going on. <laughs> well, also, there's a critical side to the perfectionist yeah, because very. the perfectionist demands, in a sense, that other people arrive or, or, or meet his standards. And the, his standards are uh, they're subjective. That's the problem. And, but, and yet, there's this sense of wanting to have other people do, the things, do things the way I do and, 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 and uh, have, have them achieve the things that I achieve. Well, but like you, since you're the pleaser, I don't see it come out towards me. Hardly ever. I see yours because you share with me your perfectionist tells you you're not good enough. That no matter how well you do it, you still see flaws. And that's part of the giftedness in you. You can see flaws that the ordinary person can't. And um, because of that, you want to get rid of those flaws and get rid of those flaws. And you can't make it perfect. Um, it's not a perfect world. So it can't, it's hard to be satisfied with the things you do. Yeah, uh, because the the part that part of you tells you it's not done completely perfect. It's not good enough. That's a common thing a perfectionist will say. Sure, the perfectionist makes a ninety-eight on a big big mm. exam. And he says, "God, you know, I can't believe I didn't make a hundred. And see, people who aren't perfectionists, they think, "Oh, I'd love to be a perfectionist," but there is a, a downside to that: the negative talk, right. um, that you're never good enough. Um, it, it really beats you up. So when you're healthy. Um, you start realizing everything you do might not turn out perfect, right? And that's okay because that you do such a good job. You realize you do. They're very talented people. Um, instead of not trying anything unless you know you can do it perfectly, you're braver to try things mm-hmm. even if you don't know how it'll turn out. Right. And and some of the uh, the things that seem inconsequential but are big to the perfectionist are things like order often, things mm-hmm. being straight. Sometimes they're totally irrational. Uh, perfectionists, I, I would tend to do this to line things up on my desk, you know, and other people, they just, right. it's a mess. But And so, you know, the, one of the things that you do to begin working on yourself is not to let yourself do those kinds of things and not to worry about the fact that the pictures aren't all straight, you know, uh, they're not all totally level, they don't have to be, and to, to begin uh, overcoming those those things. Now, the two we didn't get to today are the controller and the critic. And the controller is based more on fear, and that's one. That's my number one. Um, but I'm a very healthy controller, I must say. And uh, and so it can be look similar to the perfectionist, but not as gifted as the perfectionist. Um, controllers have a lot of energy. Um, they must always be in charge to get things done. Um, 
and things they really want things to go their way and they try to control things to have them be their way. The critic has a lot of negative self-talk. I mean, basically, if you think of a critic, movie critic, food critic, the critic is like that to yourself. This is inside you. It just beats you up and beats you up. Again, the critic says you're not good enough. Very gifted people are critics, um, and they just have such negative inner self, um, and they often will be hard on themselves, and they're never good enough, and they keep pushing. But that critic, if you think of a food critic, it's got to have it perfect. It knows how to make it perfect. Um but it can't get there. So they're very similar to the perfectionist. So next time we will talk more about the controller and the critic. And we hope that you've been able to pinpoint your personality type, uh, pleaser, doubter, avoider, perfectionist, and then we'll follow up so that you can know and understand yourself so that you can overcome all your fears and how you sabotage yourself because that's what the false self does. And so uh, we love that you tuned in and we look forward to having you next week when we talk more about the personality profiles and how to overcome fear and sabotage. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. 